Good morning, Bethel. As we come to God's Word, would you bow with me from your home? And uh, let's pray. Gracious and merciful God, our Heavenly Father, we, we love you and uh, we are now coming to your Word with eager hearts. Eager hearts to hear from you. We desperately need what you would have for us today. And so, may your word be food for our souls, and may we be transformed as we come and meet with you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I mentioned last week, if you were with us in person or you know, from your home, I mentioned that our family had the chance in August during some vacation time to get down and have a precious visit with my 95-year-old grandmother. She has just recently moved into a care home out of the home that she'd been in for years and years. And, and the family over the last number of months as she's made that move has been going through all the work to, to empty her house and, and get it ready to go up on the market. But there's been one major problem that has really come to the forefront. See, just before my grandparents bought that house, so they bought, they've been there for about 35 years, so we're talking 40 years ago or so, the previous owner decided to uh, build a little addition on the side of the house. They, they added a garage and then like a back kind of family room to the house, except they didn't do the foundation work right. And so at first, over the years, my grandparents began to notice that like the door frames were starting to go a little bit crooked and weren't quite closing right. And, and then they started to notice, you know, a little bit of a crack in the drywall and everything. And, and they just kind of left it for year after year after year. And, and it was just, it was grandma's house. So it's, it's not a big deal until you get to that point where now you're trying to sell the house, right? And, and when you finally strip out all the things that are there and all those things that draw your attention because you're going to grandma's house with the sentimental value and that house is now bare and unadorned, you walk through it and you start to see how and feel how much the floor is tipping and how big those cracks have become and how much that whole addition of the house is almost like ripping off the side of the main house. Now, I am no construction guy, but, but what I've begun to learn is, is what happened when they first built that was, was you're supposed to not just put you know, a few cinder blocks around and just like a basic foundation right across the surface, but what you're supposed to do is dig right down to the very same level that the original footings of the foundation are at. Dig right down to that same level and then you start at the same level and you actually pin in the new foundation to the old foundation together and build it up from there so that it stands the test of time together. Bethel. That is a profound picture for us here as we are launching this new ministry year with this little mini-series that we're calling On Mission. See, what we are trying to do is to, to dig down to get at the same level so that we are establishing at the same level a new foundation and, and uniting together and then pinning in so that as we build up from there, we build something that is, is able to be beautiful and united and connected and rallying together to stand the test of time. And so whether you are 
brand new to Bethel or you have been around Bethel for decades, whether you are just beginning to explore this whole Jesus church thing or whether you are a seasoned follower of Jesus for 50 years, wherever we find ourselves, we, what we're wanting to do is to, to dig down, get on a common ground, lay the same foundation, pin it all together so that we can come and launch into this new year clarified and united and rallying together. So last week we looked at the question, why? Why do we do all that we are doing this week and over the next two weeks to come? We are going to be looking at three words that that I want to think of as kind of like foundation pins that now that we've gotten down to the same level, we've dug down and we're pinning together three words that pin us together to prepare us, to rally us, to unite us, to launch into this new ministry. Here's the three words, people, pace, and place. People, pace, and place. These are three words that I think need to be at the forefront of our hearts and our minds in this year ahead. And today I want to tackle that first one, people. So grab your Bibles out and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to read verse 15 and 16 under this title, simple, one word, people. God's word says this. Here is a trustworthy saying. That deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. We, we say here as a church, our, our vision statement is that we exist to, to be a church that is multiplying disciples that are transforming our community and reaching our world. Our, our North Star is to be disciple-making disciples that are, that are impacting both where we are and around the world. And today I, I want to, to hammer this first pin in to unite us all together and to see how this passage relates to our vision and holds us together as we launch into this new year. And here's, here's the big idea from today's text. It's this, the people in your life desperately need to see and hear that Jesus has saved you. For every single one of us, the people in your life and in my life desperately need to hear and see that Jesus has saved us. Our text begins here with the Apostle Paul. He's he's writing this letter to his protege, this young kind of up-and-coming leader within the church, this young pastor, Timothy. And and he says to him, here is a trustworthy saying, Timothy, Timothy, I've I've got something that you need to hear. Come come here, Timothy, lean in. The the Holy Spirit who who led Paul to write these words is, is saying to you and to me right here and now, like lean in, come here. He's waving his hands towards it and saying, I've got something really important, a trustworthy saying that deserves your full acceptance. Lean in, Bethel. Lean in to listen to this. What is it that God wants us to hear? It's this. Verse 15 says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. A miracle baby 
who was born 2,000 years ago. A miracle baby who was born to a virgin. That's like a crazy, mind-blowing. Ever heard that kind of story before? Miracle baby. This baby grew up, and as a, as a child, and then into youth, he never committed a single sin. Parents, is that not like the craziest of all miracles to think about having a toddler or a teenager that never sinned? As a, as a young adult... Young man, things really started to, to get going with the blessing of Almighty God upon him and the power of the Holy Spirit. He began to travel around the countryside, all over ancient Israel, teaching people with this authority that, that no one understood. Where, where did this come from? Like Mark one twenty two, one example of this. The people were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. He began going around and healing people and doing these incredible, mind-blowing miracles, give you another example, Matthew 8, 27. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. He amassed such a following and and got the leaders of his day so jealous and angry and up in arms that they ended up having him arrested and beaten and executed. And, And you would think that that would be the end of it. And for any other person at any other time, in any other situation, that would be the end of it, right? Except Jesus is not any other person. This was not any other time or situation. I love how Peter, who was one of Jesus' best friends, summarized all that kind of went down. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, when Peter preached this incredible sermon, he says this, Men of Israel... Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves, you know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. That's a line right there, isn't it, Bethel? Death could not keep Jesus Because death is the penalty for sin and Jesus came to overcome sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He defeated sin. He defeated death. Jesus, Christ Jesus, came into the world to save sinners. This is a trustworthy saying. This is a saying deserving of every single one of our full acceptance. He did all of this to save sinners. It was a rescue mission. You, you think of you know, your greatest movie heroes. I don't know if it's you know, in the shoot-em-ups like Liam Neeson or Matt Damon or Tom Cruise or who it is that you would think of. Jesus is the, the even greater hero who came in to fight against the even greater enemy, the ultimate hero to fight the ultimate enemy, to do the ultimate victory, to set us ultimately free. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And the people 
in your life and the people in my life desperately need to hear and see how Jesus Christ came to save us because they are the sinners Jesus came to save. Every single person in, in your life and every single person in my life, I'm talking about, you know, like your best friends. I'm talking about the, the kids in your class or the coworkers that you work alongside. I'm talking about your, your neighbors, your family, the guy down the street, the sweet crossing guard who is out Monday to Friday, even if it's raining or hailing, to help kids cross the road. I'm talking about your mom. I'm talking about everybody. They are the sinners that Jesus came to save. Every single person in your life, every single person around your life is a sinner. Everyone. A sinner means one who has turned their back upon God. They have, they have chosen to reject Him. They have rejected his morals for how they are to live and how they are made to live. They have denied or dismissed his direction for their lives. They have rebelled against God saying, I know better than you, God. I will go my way. I am not going to listen to you, God. They are broken and they live in a broken world. And this is, this is not, not just my idea. This is straight from the very Word of God. Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Every single one of us. And now when I say that, I know that, that there are some, maybe many at home right now, you are hearing and listening to that, and you're, you're starting to get to the edge of your seat and kind of get rather excited and, and kind of worked up as you hear me saying that. And it's interesting because, because if you find yourself in that spot, there's probably some of you that land in, in one of two, and, and they're very different camps and reasons why you're starting to get kind of your back arching up and you're starting to respond. See, some... When you hear me say that, he, here's what's going through your mind and maybe even starting to come off of your lips right now. Oh, here we go. Another one of these Bible thumpers. Like, who do you think you are to say that all these people around us and all these people, I know some really good people. The, the nerve of you to stand there, to sit there, to, to come online and, and declare that all these people everywhere are all just sinners. What gives you the right to think and to say that? And you're starting to get your back up really irritated and upset. How dare you? There's another group that you're starting to get kind of excited and drawn to the edge of your seat, but, but you're unlike the, the like exact 
opposite camp and reason for that because you start to hear me talk about some of this stuff and you're starting to get excited and off the edge of your seat because you're like yeah like amen preach it brother the the you know the left-wing liberal crazy um left-wing folks of our community they need to hear that they're sinners that's right that's right preach it and you you think you're about to hear a rallying cry to just wag our fingers and look down at all these sinners out there. Dear friends, if you find yourself right now at home having either of those reactions, you need to come and hear and see and look. Look at what our text actually says because, because it confronts and corrects. It rejects and rebukes both of those perspectives that's not at all what this text is saying look at how verse 15 finishes christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom i am the worst see paul here friends you need to hear this he is not standing or sitting on an ivory tower looking down his nose at all those unrighteous people out there wagging his holier than thou finger saying you sinners He is not trying to stir up a hyper-religious, fundamentalist, political rally against all those people out there. He is saying, I am wretched. I am the worst of all. He's on his face in brokenness here, friends. He's saying, Jesus came to save me and I can't even believe it. He can do the same. For you. Do, do you know? Do you, are you familiar with Paul's backstory? Because to understand this, you, you need to see and know his backstory. It's so profound. See, Paul was, Paul was the guy, Paul was the guy who was the religious leader of his day. He was the religious of all of the religious. He was the righteous of all all the righteous. He was the one who had scripture upon scripture upon scripture upon scripture memorized. He was the guy who followed every single rule to a T. He was the guy who was was so excited about following the the right law from God that, that he literally traveled around the countryside trying to hunt down anyone who appeared to be irreligious to have them thrown in jail or even killed. He was off the charts for God. And yet he is the one here who says, I am the worst of all sinners. How does that happen? How does does one go from being so hyper-righteous and religious to the point of brokenness on their face, saying, I am actually the worst of all sinners You know how it changed? It changed the moment he met Jesus, friends. See, coming to actually meet Jesus, the the real Jesus of the Bible, the pure, holy, spotless, perfect Jesus, do you know what it produces? Every single time 
It produces this sense of, I am not even near enough. I am broken and I am the worst of all sinners compared to Him. This is the response that we see when Isaiah met Jesus. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. This is the response of John when he met Jesus on the island of Patmos. When I saw him, he writes, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is Paul here. He's like, I am the worst of all sinners. If you have had if you have had people come against you with this like holier than thou, wagging their finger, looking down their nose in self-righteousness towards you that has hurt you deeply, friend, I just, I want to say I'm sorry because that is not the response that comes from one who has genuinely met Jesus. And I'm sorry if, if it's even been in the name of him But that's not the response that comes from someone who's genuinely met Jesus. If you have had a holier-than-thou attitude, if you find yourself starting to get excited like, oh yeah, preach it against those crazy sinners, and you're looking down upon others and saying, what's wrong with them? This text confronts us too because, friend, That's not the response of a genuine encounter with Jesus. When we come to meet Jesus, it is, I am unworthy, I am undone on my face, I am so far short, I am the worst of all sinners. That's what oozes out when we come to truly meet Jesus. When we see Jesus, we are like, I am totally unworthy and I fall so far short. It is this immense humility that comes forth. And it's interesting because at the same time as this immense humility comes forth, there is also this overflowing sense of joy when we truly meet Jesus. Why? It creates exhilarating joy because, as we see here in this text, the perfect, holy, spotless, pure Jesus is the one who came to save sinners like you and me. Every single person in your life is a sinner. And so are you. And so am I. And Jesus came to save us. The perfect Jesus is the one who went to the cross and who died and who death could not hold him, but he overcame death to rescue you and me. And so we come with this utter humility because I'm totally unworthy and yet this overflowing joy because how is it possible that Jesus would die for me? And what freedom there is that Jesus has overcome my greatest enemies, sin and death and Satan, and won in victory to give me life. It leads us to go to the rooftops and just shout at the top of our voices, I am the worst of all sinners. 
And Jesus came to save me. Our world, let me be more specific, the people in your life need to hear this. They need to hear and see this. We all need this. This hope and joy and peace that comes from the fact that although I am broken and I am breaking so many things and I am messed up and I live in a messed up world and I've messed up so many times that Jesus has come to save me, our world needs to see and hear that, friends. The people in our lives need to see that Jesus, the perfect Jesus, came to rescue sinners like you and I. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. As Paul said, of whom I am the worst, and as we can too echo the same thing. And look at what our text says next. Verse 16. But for that very reason... I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Do you, do you see what that was saying there? He, he's saying, God, God rescued me and God lavished his grace upon me and his mercy upon me. For that very reason, it says, so that in me, the worst of sinners... I might be an example for all those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. That word example there could also be translated sketch. It has this sense of like a drawing, a a prototype. Think of it this way. Here's how in our modern terms you might kind of consider this. Have you ever seen like an architectural drawing of a new construction build? Like an architect draws this 3D model for you to be able to kind of picture what this new construction build might be like. Or, or maybe, maybe you're like, you know, researching to go and find, you know, a, a little getaway in paradise for a week of holidays. And, and you go on a hotel um, website and they've got, you know, a little 3D rendering of the, the room you can go to on your getaway to paradise. Or, or maybe you're looking to buy a new house and you go online and you see all these different pictures or these renderings so that you can picture yourself in the kitchen and be like, yeah, I, I could see myself making breakfast for my kids in that kitchen. Or, or I could see myself sitting out on that front porch. Honey, can't you see, imagine yourself sitting out on that front porch and look at the view that we get to have? You, you got to picture that sort of idea of those, those sketches, those renderings, those prototypes that help you. And, and here's what they're doing and here's what Paul is saying. They're helping you to visualize, to enter in, to see yourself in it. To to imagine like, yeah, yeah, I I could see us raising our kids there. Oh, that would be a really nice place to get away to. Oh, yeah, I'd love to lay my feet down there. And Paul is saying, Paul is saying, he... Of course, he does not have 3D architectural drawings back in the day. But what he's saying here is I became a sketch to to show others how far short I fell, how, how far unworthy and below Jesus I was, and yet how much mercy he lavished upon me. 
to show how God poured out mercy and grace to the one who was the ignorant, persecuting rebel so that Paul would be a sketch, so that Paul would be an example, so that others, even us today, would look on and say, hey, I can see myself there. I can see myself in that. If if God could be so kind and so forgiving to one who was so full of himself and thought he had everything right when he was doing it all wrong, and God could forgive that guy, then, then, then maybe there's hope for someone like me too. Paul became, as it says there, a display of Jesus' unlimited patience. Paul became a sketch, an example for others to see. I can see myself there. I can see myself there. And friend, I I don't know where you are coming from today. I don't know what your own spiritual journey has been. I I, I don't know what questions or struggles you might have even right now. But but whatever it is, and, and wherever you have been, and however much of a mess it might feel like, And however big the baggage you might feel like you're carrying is, you need to know today that Jesus came to rescue and save broken people who are longing for hope and mercy, just like you and me. He came, and and we see in Paul this picture of how he showered mercy and kindness and grace upon him to show you And to show me that he can do the same for us. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am so thankful for that message because that is the hope that I need. Because I say, just like Paul, I'm the worst. Oh, if you only knew the thoughts in my head, the impurities in my heart, how how messed up and how many times I mess up. And I am so thankful that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I want to tell you today, friend, that from your home right now, if you feel like, "I, I need hope, but I just feel too messed up. I feel too far gone. Christ Jesus came to save you too. And if at this very moment, you're like, I I don't know if I can believe it, but I want to. You can cry out right now to God and he hears. There's not a special ritual or formula to this. It's just the cry of your heart crying out to him right now and saying, if what this guy's saying is true, I want that. And he will answer. If you lay your life down before Jesus. And if in this moment you receive that gift of overflowing mercy and grace. Or or if you received that gift 50 years ago or anywhere in between, you need to know that gift of mercy and grace has been given to you. The people 
also in your life desperately need to see and hear that Jesus has done that for you. That Jesus has saved you. Because just as it was true for Paul, so it is true for you and I. For that very reason, he said, I was shown mercy to be an example for those who would believe in Jesus one day. God's plan to help the people in your life come to know and hear and see that Jesus came to save them. Do you know what his plan is? Hear this. It's a trustworthy saying. God's plan is you. God's plan is me. God's way of showing hope and help and light and healing into the people in my life is me. God's way of showing hope and help and light and healing into the people in your life is is you, friends. The God of the universe has uniquely put the people that are in your life into your life. And no one else in all of this planet has the exact relationships and walks through the exact same things as you do. No one else has the same people in their lives as you do. No one else is walking the same journey as you are. And your circle of people in your life need to hear and see what Jesus has done in your life. The people at work or sitting next to you in class, the people who you have friends, who are your friends, who are your family, who are your in-laws, the people at the restaurant that you go to, the neighbor down the street, God has lavished mercy upon mercy upon mercy on you, if you're a follower of Jesus, upon me, so that we can be a sketch for those people that are uniquely in your life, uniquely in my life, can see, hey, hey, what what Alan has, I want that. I I can see myself in that. If he can receive, so I want that. And this is so convicting, isn't it? And this is so challenging for us here today, friends. Because as followers of Jesus, it it prompts us to ask two questions. Let's finish off with these two questions. Here's the first question it prompts us to be asking ourselves. Am I actually being transformed into the sketch that God intends? This this forces us to ask ourselves the question, if, if God's plan is for me to be the example to the people around me, am I actually being transformed into the sketch that God intends? Is my life actually the sketch that is going to make other people be like, I, I want that. I see myself in that and I'm drawn towards that. Is it? When you think about your marriage, is your marriage the kind of sketch that draws other people to be like, I, I want that. I want that kind of marriage 
I, I, I want that kind of relationship that, that, that he, that she has with her kids. I, I want that peace that, that he or she has in the midst of challenges and suffering. I don't understand where it comes from. I want that kind of peace that they've got, though. I want the freedom that they've come to experience from addiction. I, I want that kind of kindness when, when others lash out against them and they're just so calm and they're so kind and they're so forgiving. How do you do that? I want what you've got. See, is, is your life, we ask ourselves this question, is, is my life actually being transformed into that kind of sketch that God wants to use? Now, when you hear that, though, you need to remember, what was it about Paul's life that was so beautiful? See, when you hear that, don't hear where maybe your mind first goes, oh, here we go, even more guilt about how I need to be a better person. I need to pull up my bootstraps. I need to, to have a better marriage and have a better parenting and have better kids and have better this and that and all, you know, all the guilt is coming. No, no, no. See, here's what Paul was a picture of. Friends, remember? He was a picture of one who messed up in so many ways. And yet God lavished his mercy and grace upon him. Paul was not, what made Paul the sketch that God wanted to use was not that he had it all together and he was perfect in all of those ways, but rather that he was messed up and broken and he allowed the grace of God to be lavished upon his life. So friends, are you being transformed in the way that God desires to make you the kind of sketch he purposes to do. And then finally, here's the second and closing question for us. Am I living in a way that people are able to see my life? See, so if, if Jesus is doing the kind of transforming work we talked about there, and, and it is, it's never arrived, but we're sort of progressively growing and allowing Jesus to change us. And, and those areas that we are so broken and messed up in for the grace of God to come in. Here's the final question for us. Are you living in a way, am I living in a way that is actually allowing anybody to see this going on in my life? I remember a bunch of years ago when Natalie and I were first married, early on, we lived in Waterloo. And we lived in this one neighborhood in Waterloo, and there was this one house that I had to drive by essentially every time we left our driveway and went out of the little subdivision area we were in. I had to drive past this house, okay? And so over the years that we lived in that house, I'm like, I must have driven past that like hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of times past this house. Every time I had to leave my driveway, I went past this house, okay? And in the entire time of hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands and thousands of times driving by, do you know what? There, there, this house, it was, it was a wonderfully kept lawn. It was a really nice house. Everything looked good. And do you know what? I never once saw in all the years and every time I drove past, I never once saw the person who lived in that house. I never saw them out shoveling their driveway, even though their driveway was always cleared. I never saw them out cutting their grass. I never saw them come in and out to walk their dog. I never saw them interact with anybody. I never saw anyone that ever lived in that house. Hey, friends, in your life, in my life, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we letting people in 
to actually see what's going on in our lives? Or do we find ourselves in these bubbles where we are cut off from others so they don't, maybe Jesus is changing you, changing me, but is anybody able to see it? Or are we living in these lives that are cut off? Are we living in isolation with our walls up, our walls of defensiveness, our walls of insecurity, our walls of worry? What are people going to think if they actually see the real me? Are we cutting ourselves off in our little Christian bubbles and only staying in the circles of our Christian bubbles with our Christian friends so that the watching world around us never gets to see? Am I spending enough time with my neighbor or my coworker or the person in class or the person who lives just down the hall? Am I spending enough time with them for them to actually see what's going on In my life, am I giving them space to get to know me and for me to get to know them? Do I actually meaningfully interact with my coworkers and enter into one another's lives with them or or the couple that lives down the hall or is it just sort of at a distance and facade? Am I taking the initiative to get beyond the surface and the facade with the, the guys I go and golfing with? Or is it always just kind of like, you know, the jokes about nothing and talking about the weather? Or am I just pretty cut off and living in my insular little Christian world with my Christian friends and my Christian bubble and my other Christian families and the world around me that God desires... See, the call of God's word for us here today is that we need to push outward. It's a call to the people around us. And we can sit and say, well, yeah, we've got this, we got a Christian community and I I go to church and there's a few hundred others that come to church and I'm a part of these different things and that's fantastic except the fact that there's, even just in our own little town, there's 10,000 people who aren't going to church ever. And then you go out from the towns around us and there's thousands upon thousands of families and people who God intends for you and for me. Because we're crossing paths with them in all kinds of different ways for us to be the ones that are showing and helping them to see Jesus. The people in our lives desperately need to see and hear that Jesus saved us. See, our our mission as a church, you see it up on the banners we talked about last week, to glorify God by making disciples and make disciples. Our vision as a church is, is the North Star is to be multiplying disciples who are transforming our community and reaching our world. Do you notice what the common thread between both of those is? It's all about people. It's all about people, friends. See, we are not here as we dig down to the foundation, try and get on the same level, and we're trying to pin in together so that we're building the foundation together. We are not trying to build just a whole bunch of programs. We're not trying to rally a whole bunch of big groups to meet together. We're not trying to just have a great marketing campaign. The the plan of God is you and me. It's people reaching people. It's us coming to know and love Jesus and then seeing the people around us in our lives and saying, hey, I want to be, oh God, help me to be a light and a pointer and to show these people what you have done for me so that they can come to know and then the people in their lives can go. This is the whole heart of why we're doing what we're doing. 
as we lay the foundation, we dig right down, we get to the same footing and we put these pins in. Here's the very first pin. Here's what it's all about in this year ahead as we launch forward. It's people. It's people. Because the people in your life and the people in my life desperately need to see and to hear how Jesus has saved us.